Hey, it's Brian House, and you're listening to the Work For It podcast. Our primary focus is business in the workshop. And if you want us to see and discuss your work, use the hashtag WFI Projects on Instagram, and we will shout you out and your projects. Did you know you can support our work for as little as $1 a month or $12 a year? Go to patreon.com forward slash work for it to find out more. $12 a year? That's like a burrito. I love burritos. What's happening, everybody? It's Thursday morning, and you are listening to the Work For It podcast. I'm Brian House, joined in the studio, as always, with Ben Jammin' Butler, straight out of Boise, Idaho. What's going on? You even got it right. It's Boise, not Boise. Oh, Boise, Idaho, and we'll that, Brian yeah. Cone in the chilly, chilly. What do they call that? The uh, the mitten armpit? of the United States, not yeah, the armpit. I grew up in the armpit. It's the cold as hell up here this week. It's it's been like winter 2.0. Yeah, mm. I remember those those days. That was that was always tough. And we have a special guest in the studio, Kyle from KH Daily Knives. What? is going on, Kyle! Hey, thanks, guys. (laughs) Yeah! Yeah. Coming at ya! What's going on, Kyle? I'm feeling feeling crazy today. My God, did you take your crack this morning or what? (laughs) This is what happens when we record in the morning. I'm way better in the morning. I know. I I think you might need to have Brian get on in the morning more. This is pretty good. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I think we all do better in the morning. The challenge is the two-hour time zone. But, yeah. you know, yeah. 6 a.m. is a fine time to record a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> For you. <laughs> you're, you're up at Except like no four in the morning anyway. in the fucking history of the world. <laughs> I wake up some mornings. I wake up at like, like 530 in the morning because I got stuff to do. I got to yeah. get out the door. And Ben's already messaged me like, hey, what's happening? I'm doing this in the studio. Like sending me like stories on Instagram. <laughs> where he's like using a table saw at 4.45 in the morning. So I, Yeah, I was saying like before we got on, I've got a bomb shelter of a workshop. It's all concrete block and I've, you know, it's detached from the house. Uh, it, basically our driveway or the parking spot makes up the distance. So it's only about 12 feet, 15 feet. But our house is also brick. So nobody hears it inside and then it's far enough to the neighbors. Nobody's ever complained. Time to get so. a power hammer, Ben. This How is, about it? Uh, let's see what we can do. Get you a power hammer. So, Kyle. Yeah. Welcome to work for it, man. How you doing? How about it? Doing pretty good. It's been, yeah, I live in the western suburbs of Chicago, so uh, similar to Brian, or Brian Cohn. And, uh, yeah, it's been been pretty cold, but I've been working outside the last two days, uh, working for Oof. it. My, my wife uh, does a lot of gardening. And uh, oh, we're, yeah. we're building a bunch of raised beds and we had a big mm-hmm. snafu with uh, getting all the wood there, but we got them, we got them all built yesterday. So I'm nice. not, not nearly as uh, young as I used to be. So I'm pretty, pretty <laughs> tired today. A little sore. So I saw a tip on raised beds recently, and I, I actually did this when I built my raised beds, but I, I might as well share. Uh, a lot of folks struggle with filling that whole big, deep, you know, bed with dirt. Yep. Because dirt is not exactly cheap. 
hay bales, right? So mm-hmm. you start off with hay bales in the bottom, and then you only have six, eight inches of dirt on the top. Over time, the hay bales degrade, and yeah, it works pretty good. Yeah, we just ours aren't so, super Kyle, I don't know if you know. Sorry, ours aren't super you know raised. This. They're like eight inches tall, so we're only going to have them like six inches. Nice. But we're putting some hay bales down and doing some. We have a bunch of. We have a little over an acre, and the previous people Sweet. just left tons of wood bale or wood piles everywhere all over the property. So we got tons oh, of wood in various yeah. states of decay, and we're going to put some of that Great. down in there too. At the end of the we road, are... there's a goat farm too. So they. Uh, I got all the shit you need. Yeah. Goats and horses. <laughs> we are changing nice. the name of the podcast to Garden for it. Gardening hours. Garden, garden for it. it. Yeah. Garden we were for big it. gardeners for a number of years when we first bought our house here. But then over time, as my wife started taking the boys back to PA in the summers, you know, I was like, fuck this. I'm not going to solo, you know, tend the garden. So we, we really downsized to a couple of raised beds. Yeah. But we just got lettuce and radishes and uh, kale and a bunch of shit in the garden over uh, the weekend so kale, warming up here not a fan of the kale <laughs> my boys like kale chips a bunch of hippies yeah <laughs> there you go and the only gardening i've ever done has been i made a little box and put a, like some fresh herbs in there like you know rosemary yeah. thyme that type of stuff Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, pickle, it's just, it's just you know, it's not me. It's it's not my thing. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely, it's. I think it's a phase of life kind of thing. You know, oh, okay, maybe it's definitely I don't know. a phase of life. I had the same phase. I went through the same phase where I grew yeah. a ton of food, and it was when I was in my nesting phase. My kids were yeah. real little, and yep. you know, there was when I was raising kids, we were going through the economic sort of reboot yeah. of America, if you want to call it that. But um, I, I drove a, I converted a Mercedes diesel to run on vegetable oil because I couldn't what? afford fuel. Yeah, I don't know if you know you could do this, but like you can oh, take yeah. a regular diesel engine and it'll run on processed. Um, uh, yeah, it's called, they call it. Yeah, it's it, basically down in Florida. You can run a diesel engine on straight vegetable oil with very little modifications because of the temperatures here. Uh, yeah. Some people convert it to biodiesel, but um, it I didn't have to because it was so hot here. That was I bought a, fad, a Mercedes. Man. You know? It was a fad, and but at the same time, like, let me give you an example. So I worked uh, almost thirty miles away from where I lived, and then so what would so I bought a Mercedes. I converted it about over the course of that weekend. It had a quarter tank of diesel in it when I converted it, and then when I sold it, it still had about an eighth of a tank in it. I never put diesel uh, fuel in it, not one time. And and I would go to a fish house. And I would just pick up their their processed like leftover, yeah, uh, you know, oils like that a they, fish fry they shack to, or something. Yeah, and they would have to pay to have it removed. So I, I was yep. doing them a favor, <clears throat> and then I would run it through a Raycor filter, remove all the sediment, and then uh, pump it into my tank and drive away. Yeah, and it smelled so like a did, French fry. So, yeah, I, I was going to say, does it does guy. it just smell awful at that point? Like, what no, the heck? no, it smells good. Believe it or not, yeah. it, like when you're burning it, it smells really like a like a, like kind of like a donut shop or like it, yep. it, it had it has a tendency to smell like the whatever was cooked in it. So like right. it smelled mm-hmm. a lot like fried fish or french fries or whatever. <laughs> anyway, I, I I don't give a shit about where any of this stuff. I, I, where yeah, where, yeah. I, I want to know more about Kyle because it, let me let me tell you what I know about Kyle. Number one, I know he's a really great knife maker and he's a he's a craftsman 
that uh, is a kind person as well. Because uh, you and all, all of us have had interactions with Kyle, very helpful person, which is uh, like 90% of the community that does making has a tendency to be really helpful. But Kyle goes above and beyond, which I really, really like about Kyle. Um, he's a content creator. He's a podcast. There's all kinds of interesting shit going on with Kyle. And you grew up right near where I grew up. So we all, we kind of have that not, not Midwest. <laughs> yeah. I'm a transplant. Well, oh, you didn't, you, you know, you, oh, you didn't, oh, you didn't grow up there. You just lived there now. Yeah. Yeah. I, where, where did you grow up? So I grew up in Columbus, Indiana. So it's about 45 uh, miles south of Indianapolis. I lived there till I was 25. And then that's when I got engaged to my wife. She's uh, from Naperville and uh, made the yeah. trip up to the Chicagoland area. Gotcha. Well, I went to school at NIU in DeKalb, which is just outside Naperville in Aurora area. One of the four colleges that I actually knew in Illinois. I I didn't I only thought there were four colleges in Illinois before I moved here. And man, it was uh, a lot lot more than I thought. (laughs) Illinois is a huge state. It's so long. You know, if you you live in Chicago, you're like one type of person. It's kind of like Florida. If you live in the north part, you're one kind of person. And if you live down way south, you might as well be from Kentucky. You know, you're yeah. there's it's such a huge state. It's a, it's a big place. But yeah, the guys um, that I work so, with, they always said you're a south of 80 person. <laughs> OK. All right. Yeah, right. Right. South yeah. Now, were you in that part of Indiana where you did not subscribe to daylight savings time? Or were you in that oh, zone? There's parts? Yeah. So almost all of Indiana for my entire time until I was in college. So that was like around 2006, 2007 time frame uh, was all not no daylight savings time. So it was only like huh. the the region around Chicago and then down by Lua, or, uh, Evansville that did uh yeah central time so we never changed our clocks and i love that, uh, that was you awesome. guys are holdouts you are holdouts man i, I truly believe that, in that uh, concept i just heard that the uh, uh bill passed the house i think yeah yeah to do away with it i i'd heard of the senate but i hadn't heard the house yet but it could I, been i, I, I i'm I still screwed up from it that we just yeah. switched times i'm not kidding you like i can't get to sleep i wake up yeah. late like yeah I, I, I don't that. care if it takes me it, like people say like, OK, well, you know, you'll just in a couple of weeks. I don't. I just like maybe like two or three months out. And then it's about time to go back to the other way. And I'm just like, <laughs> no wow, yeah. thanks for screwing me over. Like repeatedly. <laughs> yeah. I just I can't. I like deal with this stuff, better. I, I like it better when it stays light longer. But. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't. I get totally messed up. You're no, cutting really off doesn't. one yeah, end just... of the carpet and sewing <laughs> yeah. it to the other side. Well, like, there's no see, difference. Here's the here's the advantage it, in house. Boise. Um, in Boise, where we live, we're on like the very far west edge of the time zone. So it's like oh, 30, 40, 40 minutes to the Oregon border, which is basically where Pacific time starts. Being on that extreme edge of the time zone, it's almost 11 o'clock before it's dark here in the summer. Duh. It's phenomenal. It must, be, it must be awesome, yeah. It must be <laughs> and then I like it dark in the morning because I like my early shop time. And That's that just seems yeah. to give me a little more in the summer, you know. Kids sleep in and shit. It's good. Yeah, that has you just got to move like I did, closer to the equator, and then none of yeah. this becomes an issue, really. Because you know. know, we we get nice long days here. I mean, I could we're really close there. to the sun, though. It's I really it's hot could. Here. I'm yeah. getting a lot of the one thing, I'm getting out of here. I'm the out. The one thing I'm that's done. pissing me off about it is that 
I drive due east for an hour every morning. And right now, when I <laughs> oh, drive, I drive looking straight into the sun for an hour. <laughs> it sucks so bad. And then I have got this little dot moving around my eyes as I'm trying to grind in the morning. You need yeah, a, a welding happy. helmet while you're driving to work. <laughs> <laughs> Damn near. Yeah. Holy shit. In my engineering uh, job, I had a, had a 30, 45 minute commute and it was east and west into the sun and yeah, the we're on the far eastern side of our time zone. So when I was driving to work at six thirty in the morning, the sun was right in my eyes, and then daylight savings time would put oh, the yeah. sun right back in my eyes, and it did it yeah. both times. I hated it. Yep. Yeah, but. it's tricky. It's definitely. <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like I've never been like diagnosed or anything, but that seasonal affect stuff. Brian, comes to diagnose you. Yeah. Oh, hey yeah. now. I thought we're I thought we're trying to squash calling Doctor Cone. What do they prescribe for that? Some of the the uh, pickle cutter Kush or no? It's it's a uh, the diagnosis for you is uh, definitely pusitis. Oh, pusitis. Okay, <laughs> man, awesome. I woke up early for this. <laughs> uh, it's time time to put your big boy pants on, Ben, and get yeah. back to work. Buckle the fuck up, kid. <laughs> oh, you're, it's February. You're sad. You haven't seen the sun yet. Tell me about it. Whatever. Oh. Back to fuck Shut the fuck Quit up. Being a All right. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, I apologize. We are just, we have really stepped off the cliff. We're falling, free falling, free falling like Tom Petty this nice. morning. But uh, getting back getting back to uh, your work, Kyle, because um, I don't know about, much about, are you a full-time knife maker? Are you a full-time maker? Like, tell me a little so, bit about, like, what your days look like. Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of backstory first. So I, I grew up in southern Indiana, went to Purdue University, got an engineering degree uh, all through summers and winter breaks. I worked at a machine shop in, in my hometown, and we did a lot of work for Cummins Engine Company. They make diesel engines for uh, a lot of the semis and the Dodge Ram pickup trucks. Well, I guess it's the Ram pickup trucks now. But um, yeah, when I met my wife, I ended up moving to Chicago and I worked for Navistar. They make international branded trucks, semis and school buses. And um, I missed working with my hands a lot. And one of my coworkers um, told me about a, a knife maker guy that was an electrical engineer that stopped um, doing his electrical engineer thing to make knives because he uh, missed doing stuff with his hands and stuff. And I missed doing stuff with my hands. And then in 2012, I went to my first blade show with that coworker and uh, met Dan Eastland, the guy that I do the knife perspective podcast with. And uh, he took me to Andy Roy's shop and I was like cooked. All that stuff was the stuff in the machine shop or a lot of the stuff in the machine shop that I wanted to have and uh, table saws and everything. That's all stuff that I always like to make stuff. So wanted a bunch of that stuff and started building my own grinder. I bought a grinder in a box kit back in 2012, uh, Polar Bear Forge. It was all just laser cut or plasma cut, um, half inch steel. And that was my first two by 72 built that did got my drill press. And, uh, my first knives took me like three years, uh, three, four years to make. So I don't, I, I say that I don't actually, I didn't actually start until 2015. And then, uh, we bu we bought a new house and moved into it of October of twenty or October twenty nineteen, and then in um, or October twenty twenty, and then 
when uh when once we got moved in and everything in january found out that my engineering job was moving to san antonio texas and i uh, didn't really want to make the san antonio move and um well, I have boy, twin boys that are starting kindergarten right now, and uh, so that's only half day. So I watch them in the morning and then do the knife-making thing in the afternoon and then go back out in the, the evenings or the mornings and uh, work some on the weekends and try to make it happen. Nice. Man. So, so you're uh, so you're doing like um, the Mr. Mom kind of deal, like with your boys mm-hmm. in the morning, and then Sounds you get the... Yeah, so Ben is doing similar work. He his kids are a little older, uh, but that so I am I'm interested in what the thought process is because I've been there. But when you decided, okay, job is moving to San Antonio, Texas, I'm not going with that job. Mm-hmm. What does the conversation look like with your wife? Is she supportive? Does she, you know, she's saying basically to you like, hey, pursue your dream? Yeah, so. I, I wasn't exactly the, the happiest towards the end. Uh, just the whole situation with how they handled the whole thing was not exactly, I didn't feel like the whole COVID handling of how we got treated at the test facility, I didn't think was extremely good, but, um, so I didn't want to just jump, run out of one job and get right back into another. So, uh, we, I looked for a couple weeks, uh, looking at all the job places and things. And then my wife and I were talking she goes, uh, with the, the boys doing half day kindergarten, I think you should give your knife making thing a go and, and be with wow. the boys and see how that works out. And so it was her suggestion. Yeah. So we, we kind of talked about possibly taking it full time at some point, but didn't know if now was the right time or whatever, but, uh, there, there's, probably never going to be a right time to do it just got to jump in and yeah. uh get after it but um yeah, yeah it's working out pretty good so, so far getting to see the boys a heck of a lot more and um the there's some exciting stuff happening with the knife making stuff and i'm going to be teaching that file work class at blade show again this year so that's that's always fun got to meet a lot of really cool people last year because of that and yeah so you, uh, do, would you would you say that you know making the transition away from a full-time job and moving towards working for yourself. Has it been positive for, I mean, from a mental health standpoint, I know that I reap the benefits of working for myself just because I'm not a, the type of person that can do that. Like I can't go to work for someone else. I have a really hard time with it. And, uh, but of course what comes with that is can be financial hardships. You know, you're working more than you normally would work just because you're trying to kind of keep up with, uh, you know, making money enough, you know, to keep things flowing. Would you say the transition was easy or would you say that you had to kind of move like you had to move past a lot of the mental blockages because you worked in the private sector for, what, 10 years before you really took the leap? Yeah, it was uh, 11 years. So the end of August was my official end date. So I've been doing it pretty much or since the boys started school. Um, so moving into the new house our the I do it in our three car garage so it wasn't heated it didn't have power um all of those projects took way longer than I thought it was going to and uh but now it's heated spray foam insulated and we got 60 amps of 220 power out there 
so pretty much able to run anything that I need. So that whole project process of getting everything built and taking care of the boys and working on it a couple hours at a time just drugged the whole project out a lot longer than I had wanted. But uh, I got starting yeah. to starting to really uh, hit the knives hard and uh, everything right now. So it's been it's been really good. I also see you doing these other side projects, mm-hmm. not just knives, but selling things. You're going to hear me just preach, 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 because <laughs> this is the this is the beginning of what I think a lot of business owners forget. Like they go into the concept of I'm going to make this one thing or do this one thing and then we'll see where it goes. Yeah. And and in fact, you did that and have started that. But you've also started making or at least retrofitting tooling and then you know selling those as well so you've got your files that you're because you're becoming known for this this Mm -hmm. file work that you're doing you sent me a box of files which i haven't even opened yet which i was going to do on the podcast today if we have time and then (laughs) um and and then also the hammers with the uh with the small peen on the end and Mm -hmm. you know i really think that people should take notice of this and i think we talked a little bit about this on the last episode about, uh, or maybe even five episodes back about the spider web. You know, you're the spider, you're in the center of the web and all the things around you are your economy. You're building a business that isn't based on one thing, but you're diversifying. Uh, it's one it's, uh, thing focused. It's centered on that. You know, it's easy to look from the outside in and, and think that it's one thing, right? Um, I know even looking at at your stuff, Brian, you know, it's, I think a lot of folks associate the grinder, but your web is so much bigger than just that grinder, right? It's the plans, it's the kits, it's the attachments, it's the, you know, the videos, it's that whole huge web makes this, you know, entree, if you will. It's not just a big old steak on the plate. You've got all the other sides that go with it. And that's, that's sort of... As I'm building whatever it is I'm building here, I almost want to go to the other extreme, you know, not just lean on one thing. I want to have a smattering of things, whether it's leather aprons or a damn uh, crosscut sled for your table saw, you know? (laughs) Becoming good at one thing, though, like your apron project, you know, the market is deciding for you right now. That's the trend. Follow that. And then, but at the same time, spread it out and diversify and and like for for instance i'm working on my next project which is demystifying the forge building process i saw the exact same um the exact same scenario with forges that i see with grinders and that is there is a an enormous amount of misinformation out there there's people Mm -hmm. saying one thing doing another they're 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 preaching all of these uh, uh, poor practices, and you're dealing with explosive gases and and heat and things that could really hurt you. And what I've discovered is is no one has really boiled it down to an easy to build kit or an easy to People build set that of plants. I've looked at them and I'm yeah. going. There's a lot of questions here, or this is outdated information. Like this yeah. is not information that we have. Like this, most of it's five, ten years old. So I'm consulting with all of these people who have built like literally hundreds of forges that on their own. And I'm saying, what would you do that differently? What, how, how does this work? Is this more efficient? 
Do, have you found that this is the be- the better path? And they're gladly giving me the information because they too had seen all of these problems with this, you know, all these people wanting to build their own forges. And then mm-hmm. they, they build something that gets hot and does the job, but it doesn't do it as well as it should. Yeah. I think that 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 process of me discovering the forge project which it could be a flop i mean no one could support it and you know i might just build one and that's fine too i learned a lot in the process but at the same time i'm solving a problem for the community which is when you decide you want to do this there's an ironclad situation where you can go and open a manual you can read about it you can see what fittings and where to buy them and all of that or you can buy a kit from brian he'll put it together for you and ship it to you Kyle's doing the same thing with his files and his, and it's it, not value. just, it, you're bringing this, you're bringing this concept that you're an, uh, you have, um, and you're an expert in that particular field. And then the trust is built there. So now you've got people looking at you, following along with your process and seeing like, if I'm going to listen to anybody, and I think this is the other thing about the internet is that people are getting very, um, tuned into the fact that there is a ton of noise out there. Right? There's a lot You've of bullshit out there. Yeah. A lot of bullshit out there. And, th- and it seems like the people who are full of it are the loudest, right? So you've got <laughs> yep. like all of these people just <clears throat> preaching and yelling and yeah. saying, this is the way to do it. And then, of course, you've got these experts coming in going, you're so <laughs> wrong. Dr. Laren Thomas must just want to turn his Cringe. computers off and just, just yeah. get away from it all at, at times you know, because of in, the same uh, concepts in in the general contracting world or you know the construction world <clears throat> i've i've often said that there's sort of a uh misnomer to a degree out there you know a lot of everyday average people think about a general contractor and they think that they're always late they don't know what the hell they're doing they're not good at business you know there's this sort of aura around that profession for, for I think, a good number of people. And that was established, I think, through a lot of that noise that you're talking about. There have been some pretty poor contractors in, in the profession, right? They haven't been the best at business. They haven't been schooled up on how to treat or grow a, a business relationship. And then fast forward to today where there's folks out there who are just taking the profession to new heights. I feel like those folks have to push so much harder to get the right messages out there, right? And I think in some ways we live under a similar umbrella, right? As people that put out content and as people that, whether we like to admit it or not, claim to be experts or claim to be knowledgeable, We have to live under that umbrella of these, you know, quote, these content creators that don't know what the hell they're doing and they're just making a video, you know? Yeah. And so I think there's some of that aura that we have to fight through. What do you guys think about that? I I somewhat agree and I somewhat like with the contractor thing. So I think the the people that are really good, those people never seem to like have it have to wait. They don't have to go looking for jobs. People come to them. Right. Uh, yeah. And I feel like that's the same out. way once you kind of hit a certain level of knife making and get your your name and stuff out there. Uh, Brian, mm-hmm. thank you for the, the compliments and stuff earlier. A lot of those other side projects and stuff that I, I make and do and have as part of my business now are all... So being an engineer, I just can't turn my, my mind off. If I... 
if I come apart, <laughs> come upon a part of knife making that is difficult or uh, I just can't seem to let it go. And uh, I love the look of hand sanding my, my knives. And uh, when I first started doing it, I, I bought a piece of aluminum, flipped it over, put the paper on there, rubbed until my arms wanted to fall off. And I was just like, man, this, this totally sucks. And uh, I'm like, there's got to be something to, to make this process suck just a little less. And uh, I did probably 50 different iterations of different lengths, different widths, different uh, types of rubber uh, until I kind of came across this um, like flat stick. Uh, cause the first ones I started making were flat for flat sanding. And, um, I got two different types of rubber, uh, a 70 durometer and a 55 durometer. The 70 durometer is the same as like a rubber wheel that everybody loves for using for knife making. And, um, yeah, so I use that for, uh, like 320 grit to like 400 grit and then i uh at 600 grit i bump up to the little bit softer it's a little more forgiving uh kind of blending in all those scratches and everything and then i started making the sanding buddy um bill banky which i actually got to see this weekend he's doing great uh excited to to see more stuff coming out from him and uh maybe some stuff working together with him but uh oh, wow look at you yeah that was pretty cool i was i was pretty honored i gave him a sanding buddy uh one of the 36 inch uh radius uh sticks so when i when i wanted to start doing this s grind thing that everybody was telling me is the the greatest thing since sliced bread for culinary knives i was like well i should probably try to jump on that bandwagon since that's most of my knife business and um I've ground my first one and I was still working at Navistar at the time. And one of my coworkers, he was been, he was trying to get me to, to buy and use a 3d printer. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what I would use it for. And then I, uh, he goes, you know, you're like screwing around trying to make this stick. Why don't we just print one? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh so uh, we started, Light bulb. yeah, we started moving it around and, came up with a, a stick and then decided to try to make it modular so we could use different radiuses and uh, not have to print so much material each time that people could change out the stuff. So he actually printed my first like 20 or so sticks uh, that I sold and then um, ended up buying my own. I uh, got a Prusa. Uh, I forget the the numbers and stuff. I'm not very good with that stuff, yeah. but um <clears throat> But yeah, I, I print all those myself now, and I've got the whole size range from like a, a four inch diameter mm -hmm. all the way up to a thirty six inch radius, and you can swap them out on your sticks. And um, now, what kind of filament are you using so that you, it has a longevity? Because I imagine you know, especially with hand sanding, yeah. that would kind of wear down quickly. Yeah, so I use PLA, and I, I've ground or I've done quite a few s grinds with it uh if you use oil it'll it'll kind of break the plastic down quicker yeah but i you yeah. i do really a lot of perimeters on there that helps it make it be a lot stronger oh, okay. Um, okay cool doing a ton of are research. you are you looking at different type of filaments or different type of materials that your 3d printer or other free 3d printers could use to properly well not hmm. not properly but could you know make it so that it's a little bit more bulletproof yeah so nothing nothing with the 3d printer is like 
like what metal would be. Right. Um, yeah. So it'll it'll all break but down over time. That's durable, you know. Yeah. It's more than people think. I think. I, I feel like if it's printed well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the the perimeters are one of the biggest things to to make the structure of your your box. So if you yeah. think of if you think of like a box, boxes are really rigid and mm-hmm. there's nothing inside them. So with the 3D printer, you can build a really strong outside box and put the the or I I'm losing the the word for the the stuff in the middle the kind of like infill oh the infill and yeah. that that helps keep your box even more rigid so we we use a a, a very I forget the name of or the there's the a type. Pat, it's different patterns yeah, right you different can have patterns. like a checkerboard like, or mm-hmm. crosshatch or yeah I use this kind of like wavy uh, pattern okay. that does it all unit or is not unidirectional yeah. and. Uh, yeah, so that that spurred that whole side of the business and uh, tons of people. When I was at the the Badger Knife Show this past weekend, there were a lot of people that were just over head over heels happy with it. Uh, okay. They said they made nice. their hollow grinds and stuff way easier to hand sand. <clears throat> they had all tried to grind up a block and it didn't quite work quite right. And um, the only the only thing that I had was one guy said he would like it if there was a hole printed in the handle so he could hang it up on his board so it wasn't laying <laughs> on his his desk. So oh, that's uh, a great yeah. opportunity to make yeah. a uh, display case that goes on your uh, pegboard, right? Yeah, you could sell that as an accessory. Yeah, so we might start printing up <laughs> some handles up with a, a hole in there now. This brings up a good conversation about product development because so Kyle's in a really interesting. Um, he, he's an engineer, but he's mixing the arts with, with engineering mm-hmm. and see, this so is, th- this is like the problem that a lot of product developers have mm-hmm. and, and a lot of engineers have, um, like for instance, when, uh, my sister just bought a new car, she's like an infinity person. She's like always driven an infinity and she's like, I've, I've driven one for almost 10 years and I've had the same model. She just buys the same one o- over time. Nice. And she yeah. got a call from Infinity, and they said, you're in a unique position to give us some feedback on yeah. these vehicles. And, of course, she's, she's like me. She's got, she's got that head for, like, seeing things and how they work, but she's not in that business. She doesn't do that work. So she, she gave these engineers a lot of, like, feedback on this. And this is the problem. Every time I go to hook something up, I can tell when things are drawn up or written by an engineer. It's like they they yeah. never actually did the work. They just kind of drew it up and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Kyle's in a unique position. And he's doing a he's making he's making things and then finding solutions in his head while he's doing it for Practical. problems that exist. Practical solutions for problems that exist hands-on. And yeah. and what we're just I think we're going to move more into this as the information age progresses back. And I you can quote me on this. We are now going to go into a different industrial revolution. OK, yep. where it's a mixture of information and industry where we're now going to combine the two. We had a very segregated workforce before we had engineers the guys drawing out on maps big four by eight boards with big rolling rulers and figuring Mm -hmm. things out and drawing things up and then they would hand that drawing off to a guy who would go off and create it they would somewhat work together to try to achieve one goal and then you would have a whole slew of people who would manufacture them and make them they had no idea a lot of times they would be making a part they had zero idea of what that piece was now what we're seeing is 
at an end to end from product development, the concept, the idea, following it all the way through to seeing yeah. it into manufacturing, which leads us to better products. And, and you know, the more we talk about this, the more excited I get for the future. Oh, I feel man. like I was born too early. I wish I would have been born later. I wish it would have, like, <laughs> I'm watching my son, Dexter. <laughs> I'm like, hey, I need a seven-inch drive wheel with this degree um, of oh, crowning, no. and, and he'll go, okay, and then, like, he'll draw it up. Or go. I'll draw it up in CAD, and I'll hand him the file, and then... 20 hours i've got a working prototype in my hand yeah. you know to think right this that, is the that, concepts we're going to be seeing moving forward and and kyle is yeah. a great example of that you're about i would imagine 10 years younger than me kyle so you're in a very um you're in a little bit of a different situation generally generationally but you're going to be applying these same concepts to all of your work which yeah. i really appreciate and respect one of the things that was really great and uh, I was super beneficial. So when, when I was getting my engineering degree, I actually applied to the mechanical engineering program at Purdue. And then uh, I also applied to the mechanical engineering technology program. And I didn't, I didn't really know what the difference was at the time when I was applying. And I actually got denied from the College of Engineering, but got accepted in the mechanical engineering technology, which ended up being like what, what I should have done to begin with learning so purdue uh like you were talking about the engineers not knowing uh so they created this mechanical engineering technology program to bridge the gap between mechanical engineering and manufacturing engineering (laughs) so manufacturing engineering has people that are all sorts of practical what can be done in the assembly line what can be welded together but the engineers did a lot of the math and the creative stuff and they're like they would throw the design over to the manufacturing guys and they're like we have no idea how to produce this Mm-hmm. So uh, Purdue created this degree where every professor that taught in that program had to have a minimum of 10 years in the industry that they were teaching before they were even Ooh, allowed to like teach that. the program. Great. And that's good. I, uh, that's good. my father-in-law had, had a similar path. He, he, I, he always gets tagged as an engineer and we always saw, you know, Grampy's an engineer, but his degree is actually in manufacturing management. You know, it's not technically an engineering degree. However, he does engineering or did engineering his whole career in the powdered metal industry, you know, and and finished his career uh, running a pretty good sized powdered metal plant. But that that ability to understand not only how things are designed and not only how they're made on the manufacturing line, but also how they're used, I think, is such a huge trio that often gets missed. We went through the the sort of technology boom, right? And I think for about 10 years there, Silicon Valley thought they could solve all of our problems with tech. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of that has slowed down, I guess. In, in my mind, I sort of rode that wave for a while. Um, and, you know, every new iPhone that comes out is pretty much a carbon copy of the last one. Most of the changes happen through software and maybe that's a, a sign of how that's that train sort of starting to slow down. But what it gave birth to was all of this technology that we can now use to build better products, right? Yeah. We played with Tinker Toys. My boys are playing with fucking Arduinos, you yeah. know. <laughs> one of the whoa, one of my soapboxes, kind of like Brian's, uh, working for it and doing stuff with your hands is engineers used to get paid a lot because 
they were very hands-on. They were able to make prototypes. They were able to tinker. They were able to visualize stuff in their heads, put it on paper, give it to somebody, and they could make it. And engineering has morphed to people that are really good at math. So if you're really good at math, you're going to get really high scores in college, and companies are going to buy up all those people that have no hands-on experience. So... Um, that was one of the things that I was seeing a bunch is you would, I engineer, all the design engineers were calling me, asking me for help on their designs. And, um, it was just, it was like, you don't, you mean, you don't know how to use a ratchet? Like you don't know that you need (laughs) enough, enough clearance to like actually tighten this bolt. Like you can't assemble this. So it, it's. That's one of my big soapboxes. I I could go on and on, but I'll uh, I'll spare well, you guys. I'll, I'll tell you that there's there's a there's a, a few vehicles out there that I've worked on, which is not even that many, but the ones that I've worked on where um, I question this exact yes. process because of one particular piece of equipment that's on this engine that needs to be replaced on the regular, which is the oil filter. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so um, I about uh, I don't know. God the Toyota is a great example of this. Oh, the Toyota yeah, we XB. Got to- we got two Toyotas. And two Toyotas. I had a Toyota uh, Sienna van. You couldn't get to the freaking oil filter with a regular wrench. I mean, it was up yeah. inside of this cavity where you had to have a special wrench to get to. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what, the, who, the who designed this? This and is then, your most um, removed and part then, in the engine. Yeah, bay, it's, right? it's like you don't have to mess with a whole lot of pieces on this motor except for that one. You would make it readily accessible. So. Yeah. <clears throat> I started buying into the Kia cars. They're made by Hyundai. They're made in Korea. A lot of them are made in the U.S. now. Did they and, have the uh, no haggle policy at Kia where it was like no? That's Scion. That's Scion. that's Toyota Scion. Yeah, no. The Kia is they do kind of adopted the same sales technique. But here's what Kia did in the later models, like 2016 and on. They put get this. Imagine this. They put the oil filter on top of the motor so all i have to do is lift a lid and there's a a a a simple 17 millimeter ratchet i i ratchet off a canister so it's like a canister filter that i pull out it's not even like a screw on anymore it's just Mm -hmm. a if you can imagine like a raycor filter that goes inside of a canister that's it and it's a very simple process and it's and and again there's no oil in it because by the time you drain the engine Gravity yeah, it pulls, pulls it all that oil down mm-hmm. to the bottom of the engine. The filter is dry. I find things. that as, it is so simple because yeah. it's a pressurized system. You know, if I, I'm not an engineer. I don't know this stuff, but I'm thinking to myself, that makes a lot of sense to put that filter up there. Somebody yeah. had, but it, dude, that was 2016 they made that yeah, change. How I mean, how, many, how long have we been Henry making Henry Ford cars? to then. Yeah. The I, flipping thing should be like a gas cap, you know, like you where think? you put your gas. There should just be a little fucking door that you open. Well, and yeah. <laughs> There's there's two yeah. sides of that, that coin there, Brian. Uh the there are people that are actually hands on and do it, which that number is going drastically down every every year that keeps going because people just take it to a dealership or a oil change True. place. So they have all those special tools and stuff. And a lot of manufacturers are trying to to physically make it harder for the average person to make 
or to do any modifications of their product. So you see that a lot security? on Jeep. So I don't know if you've worked on any Jeeps lately, but you need a like a Torx set for pretty much any bolt on the vehicle. A Torx is like a star pattern head. Yeah. And um and then on a lot of the bolts that they really don't want you to take apart, they yeah. have like a tamper resistant one that has like a little you need a, a Torx bit that has a little hole drilled like in the center yeah. or you need an external yeah. socket Torx head. Yeah. So well, this gets into the um the the owner's right to repair, right? And and John Deere sort of famously um came out with voids to the warranty if you worked on the tractor yourself and yeah. some of that drama, right? And I, I think it's Yeah, there's a so big, there's a big thing with the uh, McDonald's and they're like is it an ice cream machine or yeah, something? Yeah, like an ice cream machine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Whatever. I think it's you know they're trying to pull dollars out of the service end of it and and right. i i think it's it's uh, going to backfire on them you know they're trying to basically restrict they're they're pigeonholing this process where people go, like for instance the the Yale uh, forklift atlas that i have was made in 1994 and uh and <laughs> sorry Jesus Christ. Uh, All right. So, and, and so, <laughs> so, and, and when the guy came out, when Skippy came out to work on my, my forklift, it was made in 94. He's like, Oh, thank God. And I was like, what? He's like, this is such an easy machine to work on. It's all yeah. hydraulics. It's all switches. There's not a lot of electronics on it. And he's like, he's like, you know, it's only got 1500 hours on it. He's like, this thing is going to run for another 20, 30 years. You're going to have excellent, uh, the excellent service from this thing, you know? And, uh, it made me feel good about the money I paid for it because I couldn't go and afford, I couldn't afford a Toyota that had all the bells and whistles on it, which I really probably don't need, but it's all electronically solenoid driven and all of these things that when they fail, it's really expensive to, to fix them. But, but all right. So. Getting, oh, sorry. Oh, go ahead, Brian. No, that's the thing that I ab- That's one of the things that I absolutely loved about my eighty-five S ten before I put it into the garage for you know long storage. Is like there's only like a handful of things that can go wrong with it because there's yep. no computers in it. There's no anything to it. There's you know if if the if something goes wrong, you, like you can literally see it and you can change it yourself because. You know, yeah. There's there's like literally twelve things to the engine. You know, it's well, just so easy. Ford what about that Astro van you got? What, yeah, baby. What, Dude, what's that I don't, like? <laughs> I feel like I that's got to be myself. pretty simple, Boy, right? Okay, this is actually a thing. So I th- feel like I jinxed myself because you know you know I forget who said like we're not driving Bentleys and you know I made the quip about my bent or my Bentley looks a lot like a broken down Astro van. Well, yeah. my Astro van broke down. So oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> You should have touched wood when you said that, man. Yeah, shit. Yeah, that's... uh, We had an old Ford tractor growing up, you know, 19... I don't know what the hell year it was, but uh, I can remember when the old man bought it. It had no power steering, you know, just a big old burly Ford tractor. And uh, there was some repair. I think it was a gear broke or something inside sort of that big case, you know, and I can remember a friend of my stepdad's came down to help work on this thing. He was sort of a heavy equipment mechanic. He came down and literally broke that entire tractor into four fucking pieces. You know, like here sat the back wheels. Here sat the crankcase where all the gears and everything were, the transmission. Up here was the motor. And then here were the front wheels. You know, just 
so incredibly dead simple. You could literally see every part on the outside that you might have to fix. If something was broken on the inside, it was so obvious because the damn thing wouldn't go anywhere. You know, and it's just now flash forwarding to when I was back east, the old man has since gotten rid of that tractor a lot of years ago and recently got a John Deere, you know, just a small sort of farm all kind of size. And man, he complains about that thing left yeah. and freaking right. You know, it's it's hard all for the me to believe whistles and that that yeah. thing is more efficient. I saw somebody had um, I subscribed to functional print on Reddit and uh -huh. somebody had had 3D printed a gear that went around the steering yeah. column of an old. Did you see this of an old I combine? Did. And they yeah. used a stepper motor. With yep. two stepper motors <clears throat> that were connected to an Arduino. Did they make it remote turned, controlled? They, no, they turned it into, it, it read a GPS coordinate system. Yep. So it and could it follow paths in a in mm -hmm. when they're doing their farming. So Which is they, what and the big, guy gave a breakdown. Combines do, you know, this like is what big. all the new combines, they have all these antennas and everything on them that they can, you, basically the operator's there only to just hit the stop button if something goes wrong. And this guy's like, yeah, this is an old, you know, 30-year-old combine. And he did the exact same thing with, like, two $20 stepper motors and a 3D yep. printer and an Arduino. There's and he's huge. like, he broke it down. He goes, if you decide you want to buy one of these tractors with this system on it, it's like another $150,000 or oh, something yeah. like that. Those and he built the system for like $500. It yeah, was great. there's very few people that own those huge combines. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're leasing them. And, and what we see out here, there's some huge farming. Uh, actually, up in northern Idaho is some of the highest producing dry land wheat ground in the in the world so they grow more wheat per acre up there than anywhere in the world but there are literally uh teams or companies that follow the harvest right and they'll start somewhere in the midwest and maybe they'll dig sweet uh, uh sugar beets or sweet potatoes one day and the next day they're cutting weed and you know they have eight or ten combines and they literally just follow the harvest from east to west and it's extreme. When I was studying uh, geography and remote sensing and stuff like that, we actually uh, studied a few different examples of how they use remote sensing to determine how, um, how crops are growing. So you can look at the reflectance value from space and tell if a plant needs water or if it needs fertilizer or if it needs, wow. you know, whatever it needs just Back from in my day we just the walk color. the fields and look at the right? leaves on the plants i don't need a satellite <laughs> yeah. to tell me nothing and then they what use the gps to make sure that they are being as efficient as Get possible astro you know it's like <laughs> drive out to the field right but here's <laughs> well so here's there's, an there's example. a key problem there with saying astrovan drive to the field <laughs> right you pushed it to the field you need uh, to push it out Right. Yeah. <laughs> Here's an example of that technology go gone wrong, right? You mentioned Toyota. We have a Toyota, I think it's a Highlander a hybrid deal that my wife got recently. And this drives me batshit, right? You've got the screen in the middle that has all of these options, but you can only work with some of those options if the car's in park. Okay. 
Now, you can go six menus deep changing the bass and treble and the balance on the stereo, but you can't go two levels deep to turn the fucking Wi-Fi on. <laughs> so this is a safety a, feature ben yeah, you can't, there's a you, software you know, engineer right that some politician decided whether yeah. or not that could be put into that yeah absolutely. i don't know it's that something like too. that drives me all right shit. shifting gears i i want to shift gears back into focusing on kyle's work because he's super interesting <laughs> when it comes back to Amen. when it comes when it comes i i know we're, we're getting off on a tangent about engineering but it brings me back to looking at Kyle's website, which is khdailyknives.com, okay? And you can go there and you can see all of the interesting, innovative products that he is putting out there for knife making. Make sure you go there, support his work, because when you do spend money with somebody like Kyle, it goes back right back into him creating new things that could help you do other stuff. So um, I love the sanding stick concept. I love the files. I love that you put the golf ball on the uh, handle of the file that's like solving another problem. There is numerous uh, little details in his work that I think you should pay attention to. Speaking and, of the uh, files, do we want to do that live unboxing right now? Let me go grab the box, okay? Hold on. There we go. Right, there right we behind go. me. Yeah, the, the, the golf balls on a, on a file. You wouldn't believe how much backlash I got from the golfing community. That really? you destroyed golf balls oh, to put them on a file. Well, are you are you buying new golf balls? Or are you like getting no. them from like range balls or something? No, I I, I get on Facebook Marketplace. There's a there was a oh. guy there was a guy that was sold them to me for like three dollars a dozen, and no. uh, they were he he works at a golf course and he picks them up out of the water traps and <laughs> all the all the all the balls that people shank and they end up in the forest and stuff so they're all balls you know, that are not box, i guarantee you golfers have lost more balls than you're ever going to use on files <laughs> exactly. probably exactly. you gotta be kidding me kyle i should open this a long time ago look I, at this i got a t-shirt in here oh geez what? in fact nice. he even put some lemon head candies in here hold on yeah. a second i'm glad i get to do this on the podcast so i think this is fun <laughs> yeah Ooh, i got a kyle h daily i got a kyle shirt this is great yeah. And if you want to get and on the podcast, all you have to do is just send all three of us something in the mail. A million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Man, I got some files. I got Sandy. I got lots of swag here. Oh, boy. Is it the files stickers? Kyle, is it uh, the, 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 that... the little oh, ones. The ones for uh, handle file work. Yeah, oh, doing file nice. work on the spine. So there's there's three files that I mainly use. One of them's a double extra slim seven inch triangular file that I use for putting in a lot of the, the thorns on my pattern. And then I use a three sixteenths and one eighth inch um, chainsaw file for putting in the, the circles. So yeah. um, I don't really use the, the eighth inch and three sixteenths all that much. I mainly use a um, Fordham tool, which is basically like a Dremel on steroids with the oh, carbide right, burr right. in there Fordham. Uh, because I'm doing I'm doing file work more on a production level, but I, I do use those uh, 316th and 8th inch, inch files to somewhat uh, fine tune those uh, cutouts that I do later. But uh, doing it all by hand just is not time prohibitive to, to make it cost effective. Now, I've been I've been oohing and on over your file work pretty much for the last couple of days since I know you've since I've known that you were going to jump on the podcast and. I mean, what was it that made you like? What was the first knife that you saw, if you can remember, that was like, "Holy crap!" 
look at that file work on that spine. I need to try to do that. So there's a there's another knife maker that actually, if I had known he was he was he's only like maybe 20 minutes away from where I grew up. And uh, if I had known he was there before I decided to move up to Chicago, I it might have been a lot harder decision to leave. Uh, but his name is Todd Hunt, uh, TM Hunt Custom Knives, and I've got a bunch of bunch of his knives and stuff. And he he used to do a lot more file work on his stuff before he um, kind of had so much production. He it, it didn't work out for him. He needed to get more knives out than he could upcharge for the file work. But he would do these intricate uh, file work patterns on buoy knives and all sorts of stuff that were just unbelievably uh, awesome. And, um, when I went out to his house one time, I asked him if he would show me how to, how to do some of it. So he handed me this big, like quarter inch thick piece of Oh one tool steel. And I was going to town with that three sixteenths inch, um, chainsaw file. And I'm like, man, this is taking forever, Todd. (laughs) And he goes, that's how we got to do it. And, uh, he goes, once you learn how to do it the slow way, you, uh, speeding it up always makes it go so much easier and uh yeah todd hunt was the the guy that taught me how to do the my first thorn file work pattern and then i've kind of evolved to do a couple other different patterns i've kind of been known for five different patterns the thorn is usually by far the most popular it looks like a kind of like a vine and then uh, the celtic one is one of the the ones that's uh, kind of next popular. It kind of looks like a bunch of C's and stuff. It's basically a variation on the thorn, except you put a, a thorn each direction instead of um, kind of smoothing out a, a, a point. And then the, the bubbles one is one of the ones that I like the most. Um, it kind of looks like, bub- like uh, when I saw it the first time, it was kind of like when you'd blow out on a respirator under the water and you'd see the bubbles go up in the... <laughs> go up there that kind of what it reminded me of and then uh i do uh one that i call blocks and one that i call bats and uh yeah they're just which one is which one is the one that looks like macaroni noodles back to back that'd be celtic gotcha gotcha. kind of looks like c's Uh, yeah yeah the first time i saw it was like holy crap that's macaroni art to like the nth degree (laughs) (laughs) yeah I, I really love the file work, and, and to give you some history on how I came to know Kyle is uh, – I knew of you, Kyle. Like, I just didn't – we never communicated. But I mm-hmm. was um, looking up file work videos on YouTube to, to just follow, to like, tutorial-type work because there's a lot of photos of file work, but there's not a lot of tutorial videos that show people how to do it, or at least efficient ones. You know, there's a lot of – YouTube is hard. It's like people make these For videos sure. and they want to help, but they, you know, they're like, they're telling you a story about their grandfather and, you know, 1928 and this file came from wherever. And it's like, just show me how to do it. You know, it's, that's the, that's the key. I stumbled across the uh, video that you made on file work. And it was so funny because I'm watching your video on YouTube and then I get a message from you on Instagram, like almost within an hour of it, you know. And I'm like, I just watched your video on uh, YouTube about this file work, and uh, now you're messaging me. And then that's how we kind of came to know each other. And then, mm-hmm. and um, I think I maybe subscribed to your channel. That's what it was. I subscribed. You saw that I subscribed, and then you messaged me and said, like, Hey, thanks for the subscription. Thanks for the follow. 
And then I became obsessed with this concept of file work and started doing file work myself and taking risks and making, you know, making these patterns and, and making mistakes, obviously, like everyone else does. And uh, it's nice to have a resource like you because I could just say like, hey, like what, 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 how do I make this happen? And, and you're such an open book. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. I love that. So yeah. you talk about cool YouTube being a brutal place. So I may, one of the comments I get the most on is uh, that file work video actually. And uh, for whatever reason, I totally spaced and didn't put some pictures of file work, um, finished file work at the end of the video and probably over half or maybe three quarters of those comments on that on that video are uh this could look like total bullshit uh, i don't see what the final <laughs> the final thing looks like and i have oh, i have no. a, I have a picture of it like in the vice um but not with handles and stuff finished but right. um i just tell them just go go look at my instagram you'll see tons of different styles and stuff and uh yeah it, it's just crazy that like i i that one was was one of the ones i really wanted to put out since todd had freely shown me and i asked him if he minded if i did a video on it and he said no sure go ahead and um yeah i i spent uh, probably 10 hours recording that whole thing and then i spent another like 20 agonizing over editing it and stuff because it's one of my first videos and you like i don't know if or most oh, yeah. of you have done like the you're like i don't want to put something out there that's garbage and uh, so I, i'm I going through like, that right now just like a <laughs> like a stab to the heart when everybody's like this could look like complete trash thanks for nothing it's like <laughs> right I, but like, you know I just, what that probably boosted your algorithm see yep. that's the thing you make yeah. a mistake Here, here's a suggestion <laughs> so i've done the same thing this <laughs> is not a problem you, there's a solution to this the solution is is to remake the video now that you know all this Remake the video and call it file work tutorial update. Simple as that. And what will happen is all of those people that called you out, the algorithm will algorithm will push it out to the to YouTube, but it will get uh, sort of a boost because of your old video. Okay. And 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 here's what I will suggest: admit the mistake. Right in the yeah. beginning. Say, yeah. look, I made this video. I was still early to YouTube and I didn't really fully understand the, the you know, the follow through that needed to happen. So I'm going to rectify that right now. I'm going to show you how to do it. And then and, and right at the beginning of the video, show the examples. Okay. So you 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 basically have all of your knives that have the different. Uh, I'm looking at one of your pictures on Instagram. It's fantastic. You could even just use that and use it as a still, and and then label each one and say this. I'm going to show you and walk you through. Maybe break it into four videos. You know, different styles. Yeah. I will tell you that as brutal as the YouTube community can be, when you cater to them, they yeah. love it. And they will accept your quote unquote apology and they'll say, you know, you, you did this because the, they're the toughest critics, man. Like they'll 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 beat but me they, down on things that I didn't even think about. I'll come back to it and say, well, this is the reason why I did it this way. And yes, I could have done it better. And here's how I'm going to do it better. And those same people come back around and go, this makes more sense. Thank you so much. You know, they seem to. Hate and know it all and, and, and love a person that'll admit, Hey, I I messed up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But if you eat crow a little bit, it's, uh, they, they like that. So, uh, but, but anyway, (laughs) hour into the show guys, by the way, we're at one hour. 
Yeah. When I kind of stopped doing the YouTube thing was, uh, one started doing the podcast. So, uh, I enjoyed doing the podcast quite a bit more than making the videos. So we'll see about making some more videos, I'm, but they'll love doing I'm the podcast. Stoked. I'm stoked to have found it. I, I I'll admit I, uh, you and I had the podcast called real much, quick. Ben, uh, what's yeah. his podcast called? Knife perspective. Uh, yep. Knife perspective. perspective. Yeah. So I'm stoked and, and to we, catch up on the episodes. Yeah, it's good because the it's a different approach than yeah. knife talk and all of that. It's it's a nice. very it's a good podcast. Go out and check it out. Knife perspective. You can find it on every major podcasting platform, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Yep. Go out, check it Love out. It. And even tell Alexa to do it. Oh, yes. You know, I never oh. thought of that. And That's she'll a... turn off your compressor if you yep. tell her. She'll do that, too. <laughs> Apparently. <Yeah>. Winch. <laughs> <laughs> she does lots of things for me here in the shop. Handy little I don't girl have a dad around. joke today, guys. I don't what? have one. What? Uh, what? I, sent, I sent you a dad joke that you never ended up using. Well, go oh, yeah. oh, wait, hold on. That's a good point. I'll do that <laughs> one. Hold on. Out. That is a good one, by the way. Wow. I, I sent it I, I sent it to it. uh to Knife Talk and uh Jeff told to me to Jeff me. told me yeah, we don't do that on the show. That that's so low brow. <laughs> send it to Brian. And I was I like love All it. right, here we go. Brian. <laughs> I love it. I love Jeff's just straightforward, no bullshit. Nope, yeah. you're fucking wrong. We don't do that here. Send it to him. <laughs> yeah, I actually have a uh, Jeff Fader uh, needlefish up here right above my head. Nice. So he was he was one of the first that people true? that I, uh, when I was making knives, um, when he started doing some stainless stuff, I said, hey, if you need somebody to heat treat those for you, let me know. Uh, so he, he sent me some of his first kitchen knives that were, uh, and I heat treated them for him. And, um, he, he asked me to make a leather sheath for one of his, one of his first like forged kind of bushcraft knives. And, uh, he said, I, I don't really have an, not that your work's not worth it, but I don't really have enough money to, to pay for that. And I'm like, well, I've always loved your, your needlefish. You want to do a trade? And he said, Absolutely. So I've got one of the kind of one of the last uh, needlefish he did before he started doing the the knives full time. Oh, that's wow. awesome! Yeah, I, I I will say uh, you know as straightforward as Jeff can be, which I truly appreciate. I really love how he, he his his approach to everything is 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 just this is the way I think about it, and it's very matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is one of the most kind, compassionate people. Regardless of all of that, I just, yep. you know, people are so, uh, he's always, yeah, he is. He's thoughtful. He he puts a lot of um, energy and care into the things he does. Jeff, yes. we appreciate you. By the way, I've, I've been wanting to do this for a while. I have not done this. You can tell me if you think this is going to be funny or not. I wanted to take Jeff's voice from the Knife Talk podcast, run it through my audio processor, make it sound like Darth Vader from Star Wars and call him <laughs> Jeff Vader. And, Jeff and, and, and do this Geoff whole thing where Vader. he goes on his rants and he starts, I you know, doing it. his thing, but in the voice of, um, that would be who's great. the actor that does Darth Vader. What's oh, Den- his name? James no, Earl Jones. Was it James, James Earl Jones? Jones. James yeah. Earl Jones. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Guys, ready that- for you, you, yeah. you ready for a dad joke? This one did come from Kyle, by the way. Thank you so much, Kyle, for um, providing this dad joke to us. This came in <laughs> on Valentine's Day, February. All right, so what's the best part of 50 Cent rep- rep- uh, 
Let me start that. Hold on. What's the best part of 50 Cent per <laughs> Enjoy it, Brian. Enjoy it. I screw up from time to time. All right, here we go. What's the best part of 50 Cent performing at the halftime show? What is it? He did it in two quarters. <laughs> Noise. Yes, yeah. yes, that's from Kyle. I I appreciate you, Kyle, and the dad joke scene. That's pretty cool. Uh, real quick, guys, do we want to switch gears into WFI projects? Because I know Kyle's got one. He just yeah, sure. put one in into the into the uh, ether here of <clears throat> WFI projects. We now have thirty two hundred and forty posts. That is Damn. phenomenal. What? What? The heck? what? And such I'm a start good off idea because you had Brian House. That was such I a know, good I know. I can't believe whoa, I came whoa, up with this whoa. fantastic. <laughs> Come on now. Come on. Blackthorn Concepts, who is our man, Keith Drennan of the Working Hands podcast, is building a revolution and he's doing it at the Underground Metalworks studio. What a cool place. Holy I can't believe my my grinder's being built in that studio. That's this is the uh one of the judges from that metal show on uh what it was? It oh, on I never made that was connection. That metal, metal shop masters. Metal shop masters. Metal shop masters. So <laughs> it's um, oh my gosh, I, I'm I'm gonna butcher this. Stephanie Hoffman, who is one of the judges and hosts of that show, she runs this uh, mm-hmm. runs this cool school. Uh, she's a welding instructor. She's licensed, by the way, and and uh, Keith is taking a class there. And he decided to do for, with his project. Have you heard about their uh, "Make What You Fear" challenge yes, on their podcast? I have. Yeah. Where yep. it's like you're trying to get out of your comfort zone type deal. He decided to learn how to weld so that he could build the revolution, and he's doing it there in the school. And he's nice. making content about it and everything. Yeah. Else, and it's looking great. He had a post where he's like, you know, this is the most photogenic studio or, or metal classroom in the world or something and so he's totally yeah. spot on it's like it's like you're welding in uh epcot <clears throat> center or something you're like yeah you're, it's all you're standing in a cool thing yeah yeah hey really quick before we we do the next one i just wanted to mention i noticed uh it looks like there's only about 18 people following the wfi projects hashtag Really? For, for folks that maybe it's 18 people that I also follow. I'm not sure. But for <laughs> folks that don't know, you can use the search feature in the Instagrams and then type in hashtag WFI projects. Once you ignore all the big chested ladies that Instagram suggests to you <laughs> down below. Um, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then this algorithm, the, by the way, is going off the rails. Oh my this, lord! It, I'm getting all these suggestions. Like I got it's because, I got a way because to you fix follow it. Ben Ben Ben. Uh, uh, what is it called? Butlerbuilt.us, uh, and then yeah. it's like suggesting like this woman in a bikini, and I'm like, what is going on? And it's the, because you use the hashtag apron. And, oh, and it's like now it's like connecting ladies. like big chested women and aprons oh, to me, man. and I'm like, I don't see the problem. Well, it's I don't even but if he wants to complain. I have I immediately started following that woman. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, they they did uh, kind of hit the mark. Let's go yeah. through the the W five projects, and then I've actually got a, I think an you need Instagram to start following to some more people on the uh, W five projects because it says for mine it says twenty two. 
So yeah, it must for mine, be it's fifty. So it must be who people you're that following. Follow. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, uh, <laughs> you can you can uh, you can follow any hashtag you'd like, including hashtag Big Breasted Mama. Um, <laughs> in <laughs> not aprons. That I follow, in, leather aprons. in aprons. Naked woman in apron. You know that that uh, works too. Uh, but anyway, somebody that's, better uh, bring up uh, Mark Vanderwerf's dagger. By oh my way. gosh, that yeah. thing's badass. So just we got to talk about this. I mean, it so, is. Insane. I was talking with Mark actually this well Mark replied to my story last night and uh I put out there if anybody had any questions for the show or questions for Kyle and there was a question we'll do that here in a bit mm-hmm. he's actually just uh just hitting me up right now but yeah go ahead with the dagger info this thing is killer I'll let Brian Brian you take this oh, one cuz Oh I need to pull it up real quick you know which one I'm talking about. The oh, yeah, absolutely. The, the, the one that's like the most manly nightlight I've ever seen. Like, <laughs> that, <laughs> I love it. I all- feel like that needs to go in a man cave and just be like pitch dark at night, you know, smell of cigar smoke just wafting through the it air. Does. And it, be- this it belongs thing in the back cave. In the corner. Right. Oh, my God. This thing is so badass. I think and it the also fact got, that he's got, a got grabbed by Blade Show yeah. and stuff too, reposted and stuff. Did so. it? Blade Show reposted it? No I th- kidding. I think so. It's reminiscent of. Um, so cool. Oh, gosh. Uh, I saw uh, a knife stand from Blade Show that's made the yeah, rounds. Yeah, the magnet one. And I was playing around with that yesterday, actually. And uh, I've now got files to cut them on the CNC. <gasps> And I'm just waiting for uh, some heavy-duty magnets. You need a, a super strong magnet to pull that off, like a 95 mm-hmm. to 100-pound uh, pull. So once you get that figured out, you and I better you know, start talking and maybe yes. we can sell them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 But anyway, Vanderwer- Vander Sanderman is uh, killing it. Killing it. Yeah, this um, this dagger looks super cool. It's for the dagger challenge. If anybody, you know, if we haven't talked about that quite enough, it's it's a challenge that's going around. What is it, Brian? It's is it twenty of us this time around, or somewhere around then? There, I think we did pick up another. So Eugene, Eugene from Take and Make uh, uh, dropped out, but there is a. Uh, I think someone stepped in his in his place. Yeah, so I'm, I'm not. I think it is twenty of us. And I'm doing, I'm like a little bit behind, but I've got the blade finished. So dude, I have been telling done. you you're behind for months on this thing. This is how I operate, Come on, dude. I, you know, I'm, I do my best work under pressure, you know. And <laughs> on top of that, I'm building a freaking forge, and I'm doing a bunch of other things because right. I'm I'm also forging out. Um, you know, I'm experimenting with pattern welded steels, mm-hmm. and then that led me to the forge project, which is yeah. you know all side projects that go but again i do yeah. this full time so you know i'm in my studio like 10 hours a day so you know right. it's a little i want to talk know, about I'm, i don't live in my astral van or anything so hey. <laughs> i want to talk it's a about a sore this, subject right now <laughs> this uh table saw sled kyle this thing is Dude, awesome yeah yeah i've not seen so i really i can see a lot of applications for that sort of squeeze concept you got going on there where you got a small block that's the hardest thing to cut, right? And yeah. maybe folks this have a table awesome. saw, but not a bandsaw. 
I, man, how do we flat pack that thing and sell a million of them? <laughs> yeah, this the, uh, is awesome, Kyle. This is thanks. such you're solving a a problem that so many of us have. Yeah, so I literally tell us all about this. I can't tell you how many like blocks of handle material that I've wasted like a solid quarter inch of the center yes. because I can't I can't cut those things straight. That is correct. Yes. Yeah. So when I first started doing it, I used to use like a feather board to help hold it up against the fence with a push stick. And yeah. I just always felt uh, uneasy. And and part of part of it was I bought a I, I stepped up my game and bought a saw stop table saw. Ooh, yeah. Uh, but uh, you uh, like them fingers, fingers huh? <laughs> yeah. So keep all ten. That was actually one of the one of the funny things. So like it was literally like the third cut I did on it. Uh, carbon fiber is actually conductive. Oh, so, uh, when I, when I, it was like the third cut I ever made on the saw. I started pushing it. I got my my push sticks, and uh, all of a sudden I hear a big bang, and I'm like, "What the heck no. just happened?" And oh, uh, that's good information. Shit, yeah, I'm hit. I'm down. <laughs> definitely, definitely tripped the sensor and shot the blade in. That's ruined what, 60, my sixty, uh, seventy-five bucks right there. Yeah, yeah, lost my eighty-dollar blade and Ooh. another yeah, hundred dollars for the cartridge. Too. But it well, has a sensor on it that you can push your whatever material up against it and see right. if it if it'll show or not. But I didn't even didn't even think to do that. Now I do it way too much. Um, yeah. But you there actually is a bypass that you can do if you're cutting something that is conductive, like aluminum or whatever. But yeah. Um, so is that the ma- uh micro jig uh dovetail it is uh, the little uh knobs you've got on there reminded me of that that's what i thought yep so if, if folks haven't used those they are incredible they make clamps and then they also make uh the what are they called the bars that go in your miter slots on your table saw yep. zero play miter bars they make a whole sort of suite of accessories but they're dovetail uh clamps if you will the top of the clamp fits into a nice dovetail shape. So I've seen folks build entire workbench tops that just have a grid of dovetail. And then you can always hold material right flat down to the table, kind of yeah, like a... Yeah, that's um, a, it's great. I, and, yeah. you know, Jimmy Duressa just did a video on the Rockler uh, dovetail jig. The dovetail jig, jig yeah. Fascinated me. I was like, I didn't even know that existed uh, you know. and saw him do it. And then Bob did one and... Dave did one too. Yeah, they all just it. happened to they do one. They all did it. Um, uh, Kyle, real quick. Mm-hmm. So, can we buy one of these, or are you prototyping this, or what's uh, what's the what's this all about? I wasn't really planning on it, but um, may have to to see about something. What about a plan set? I mean, yeah. you could yeah. you could potentially sell the drawings for this. Mm-hmm. I think easily people would pay fifteen twenty dollars. For yeah, a, yeah. a plan set drawing of this, yeah. and then find somebody with a shop bot to cut the parts. <laughs> I got one that's hungry. I got a hungry yeah. shop bot. It's cutting leather and molds b- today, but think, uh, yeah. think about this because yeah. the if you see and see this, it becomes relatively more simple to yep. make yeah. It. Yeah, I've been playing around for several years now. I've had this idea in my head about. Um, a table so table saw sleds are kind of generic in a way, right? Uh, mm-hmm. One table saw sled could have many, many accessories uh, added to it. The the uh, micro jig system is a great system for expanding 
a sled like that. There are folks who make uh, wedge, what they call them wedgie sleds, which is the worst fucking name in the world. But right. it's for cutting uh, segmented turning blocks. Okay. So based on the angle that you cut, right, if you assemble a bunch of pieces, a bunch of little pieces together, you make a ring and you make enough rings, you can glue them all together and then turn a nice bowl or something out of it. Um, but I've always imagined a base table saw sled and then all of these clever accessories that go with it, right? So you could do anything from cutting knife scales to cutting segment and turning blocks to whatever the hell you want, cutting picture frame miters, you know, mm -hmm. there are, there are, it's like a dime a dozen on the number of videos and plan sets that are out there for just straight up single purpose table saw sleds. Yep. But I've always thought, let's just trick the thing out, you know? Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. When I was looking for just buying one because lots of times for stuff like that, I feel like it's more cost effective to just buy it and it have something be, yeah. that's already put together. But I just couldn't find anything that was even remotely what I needed for cutting scales. No, and stuff that's like a, that, so that's a, I've not actually, I've not seen that concept on any table saw sled on the, on the market or on YouTube or anything, just that concept of pinching the block in there and, and centering it up to cut it over the table saw. It's great. I've Love almost it. lost a couple of fingertips doing this exact mm -hmm. operation. Yep. Well, and, I and I have a sled. Up, I, have I have a, a sled. Big, it's just not like this. Yeah. I have See, a big I've fat... Been, go ahead. Go ahead. I've, I've been doing it on my little porta band setup in my vice. Yeah. So I've, yeah, I've but literally... that's not real accurate. You have to... No, it's terrible. You don't get a it, flat uh, reference edge. I've man. actually... I don't care about how tight you make that blade. There's, no, you're never going to uh -uh. achieve what a table saw could achieve. And like the thing spirals is like you get halfway through the cut and it starts yeah. to turn. Oh my gosh, it's terrible. I, need I usually to pick up a, cut uh, thin stuff like that by just cutting right through my push block. You know, yeah, that so, works too. Yeah, like right. Kyle was saying, you you put a featherboard down there, you you inch the fence up really close, and then you just get a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, you do that. You do that table saw keggle. You know, yeah. You know, I don't know. The thing is should, fly across the room. I should respect it more, but I feel I feel almost safest behind a table saw. It's weird. I I think I've spent so much time behind one, but. There are other tools in the shop that scare me more, but... Um, you know, Ben, yeah. my great uncle, I think he was right around mid-70s or maybe early 80s, he reached down and picked up a... a he, was oh. cutting, he was cutting on it, and he was reached down to grab something down on the floor and put his hand right on the blade, and he lost yeah. his thumb oh. and part of my his old middle man almost pointer finger, the tip of oh. his middle finger. Yeah. Luckily, they're, my... they're able to reattach the, the middle finger and the... the uh, pointer finger, but he <sighs> still doesn't have a thumb. About a month ago, there was a video like that that landed on. Uh, <laughs> Use it a lot, right? Yeah. There yep. was a video that landed on Instagram of a guy doing that exact thing, but he had a saw stop, and it, yeah. it triggered the break, and then it went viral because everybody thought who would be that fucking stupid, you know, to no. touch like the way where no, this no. guy grabs. It's, and it's like, no, 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 no. That's what no, I dislike about the, the community sometimes, right? Like this, like literally people were, 
were reposting this guy's thing going like, what a knucklehead, you know, what a moron, well-known people in the woodworking sphere. And I kind of thought, now hold on a minute, you know, it, it becomes this elitist thing where it's like, well, you shouldn't be standing behind a table saw unless you've taken a safety class or you have experience or somebody's taught you right. the right way to use a table saw. Yeah, I agree. But here's the thing. They, they don't exist, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of bashing this poor guy who almost lost his fucking finger, let's help this guy. And instead of saying you should take a class, say, hey, here's some info, right? Like, let me put out good information on how to keep yourself safe behind the table saw. But instead, yeah. the community jumped right to, what a fucking moron, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's the easy thing. See, you, yeah. you can and, tell somebody yeah. they're a moron and it's really easy to offload some emotional negativity to someone else right. on the internet. And this is what the, there's a plague of this and they do it in sort of a um, shroud of, oh, I'm helping you. I'm, I'm, exactly. I'm the safety right. police. Yeah. Like, I'm, don't I'm, do I'm here this. to tell don't you. Do this. I'm here yeah. to give, do you think that this person hasn't thought this through already that they're thankful exactly. they still have their hands? Exactly, kicking his ass, and, you know. Yeah, it, you know. Had it, the balls to post the video. Like, yeah. I applaud the guy, number one. Yeah. Like, yeah. hey, good for you, brother. Put that shit out there as a PSA to everybody else, you know. I have a and, technical question, Kyle. So yep. you said that the carbon fiber is conductive, mm -hmm. which I did not know. If you were to put carbon fiber in this sled because you're isolated from the actual workpiece, it won't trigger, right? I mean, like you're, cause you're holding onto the wooden sled. So I would imagine there's no ground at that point. I, I would, I would do the bypass if you're cutting carbon fiber. Um, I was using even two with plastic, this sled. I was using two plastic push sticks. So I wasn't even touching the carbon fiber. Oh my God. It's that uh, sensitive. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's uh, incredible. So um, yeah, it was, yeah, it was super cool. I actually just uh, forwarded you. I don't know if you guys saw a little jig I made for the Porta Band. Uh, uh, Brian, I imagine you cut a bunch of pinstock. I made a little sled jig for my Porta Band to cut pinstock and uh, has a little hole in there. I push it in till it's flush and then just uh, use the Porta Band to cut it, cut it, and then use the rod to push the little piece out of the the wood there. So. Take a look oh, at that. Yeah. I, I sent it to our, our group chat that uh, you had. So, I see that. That's a really good idea. Yeah. That that made cutting uh, up pinstock so much faster. Yeah. I see a collab in your future. Uh, <laughs> ben, ben actually had to step away real quick and do Mr. Mom stuff. But, That's um, fine. Yeah. But I do see a collab in your future because I think – with the right tooling, this could be this could be something that you sell a lot of, man. It's a great yeah. you're you're solved a problem that I have had, and I don't cut that many scales, but yeah. when I do it, I I look for every option to not, especially for instance, like when I'm using like um African blackwood or like real dense hardwoods like desert ironwood, not yep. that shit they grow in Michigan, but like the <laughs> other stuff. Uh, they, that's real hard, right? And yep. you, so now I'm cutting it and I know that I'm going to end up sitting at the grinder trying to make it flat because mm -hmm. I don't feel comfortable cutting it on my table saw, which the table saw would have no trouble with it. Mm -hmm. It's just, I want to keep all my fingers. I don't want to shred, you know, yeah. basically shred my fingertips. Yeah. yeah so. I really see Excellent. this becoming a flat packable, you know, just ship and oh bolt together God, yes. type situation. Like this, yeah. this seems like something that you could, you know, have, you know, CNC'd out pretty simple. 
or even just it, laser cut simple. out. Yeah, it'd be yeah. dead simple. I'm playing around right now. Sorry, I had to go in and wake up my kids. Um, <laughs> I've been playing around uh, there. So wet molding leather can be kind of a pain in the ass, right? For folks mm. that have done it, whether you're making a knife sheath or whatever it is. Um, and a lot of folks like to make wet molded catch-all trays, which are pretty darn cool. You know, if you're using veg tan leather, you get it wet, you stretch it over a mold, and when it dries, it'll hold that shape indefinitely, basically. Mm. But I've CNC'd out these jigs that are, you know, like a positive mold shape. So whether it's a pill shape or I actually did the um, Work For It podcast logo, you know, the hexagon. And then I'm uh, carving out a uh, stamp to stamp the middle of it. And that'll be coming out soon. But I've got a video on these and CNCing stuff like that out is so efficient. And then to take it one step further, I don't know if you've seen Jimmy Duresta's stuff that he's selling at Walmart, but it's kind of flat packed. So what's kind of cool about it for shipping or, you know, it also, I think, gives folks uh, a little bit of ownership in assembling it. You know, you got to cut the pieces out of that and you got the tab still on there and everything. And I think there's a little bit of assembly ownership there, kind of like the, the revolution in a way, but yeah, if yeah, you're interested I agree. in I playing around, I'd love to. You should do it. You guys should do yeah. do it and take the conversation offline and then yeah. work it out and sell it all to us. So, um, and, that, okay, that so Jimmy we're running Duresta out of time. thing real quick. Did you, uh, Go did you see Jackman's video of him putting it together? Yeah, yeah, we made he, a huge He put one. it together and then it ended up being like six feet long. Yeah. <laughs> Another quick uh, shout out for a podcast. I'm going to be on the Making Our Way podcast. I'm recording that nice. to, tomorrow night. And That's a good show. It is a good show, and uh, I'll be on that show uh, right after Jackman. So Jackman was on this episode, and yep. um, if you haven't listened to that, you should because it's there's some really interesting bits, tidbits about the genesis of the Making Fun uh, yeah. Netflix show. Um, okay, getting back up uh, real quick, getting back out because we're going to run out of time. I want to shout out one more um, WFI project, and then maybe you guys have one too. I don't know if, Kyle, you've picked one out. But um, yep. Cardoso Knives, who has been a patron of ours for a long time, he is – I don't know where he is. I'm assuming he's in either Brazil or Portugal. I have to dig more into his um, his socials to try to figure this out. Uh, but um, I just – translated his website from Portuguese into English so I could read it. Uh, He's doing some really cool um, hammers. So he's a 20-year-old, if you can imagine, he's a 20-year-old blacksmith who is trying to make a go of this. And he's got a really beautiful layout of looks like about 15 hammers that he's made himself. And um, I just messaged him real quick and said, "Hey, do you sell these or ship these to the U.S.?" And I didn't. And then I didn't hear back from him. And like, I just went to his website just now and bought a doghead hammer from him. So to give you a, a frame of reference, a doghead hammer cost me ninety six euro, which is just under a hundred bucks shipped to the U.S. Uh, beautiful yep. work. Go out and support Richard Cardoso uh, of Cardoso Knives. And if you're not following him on Instagram, it's Cardoso Knives on Instagram. And right now he has 1,461 followers. He could definitely use some love. So, And he's been a supporter of our work now, a uh, longtime supporter of our uh, – through Patreon. So. Cool. Kind of like Kyle, our buddy – uh, 
Do you have Everybody, a WFI project real so quick? I saw I saw two of them real quick. Uh, Ben's bites. He posted up some wah style handles. I'm uh, Benny Boy. I've been I've never to, heard of him. Gorgeous. I, I'm gonna have to look him up. Yeah, I've yeah. Been, yeah. I've been wanting to 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 experiment with a wah style handle for a while. Just haven't gotten around to it. And then uh, Cack Cutlery. Not exactly sure how you K hack K hack. Just um, don't call him Cack. Um, but yeah, I was like, that's a pretty cool looking, uh, chef's, chef's knife there with like a harpoon clip and a stand and stuff. And then, yeah. then he, then his cat started walking all over. I thought that was hilarious. So <laughs> <laughs> I love it too. Good hey, God. speaking of those patrons, Brian, what's, what's that list sounding like nowadays? We are still at 46 patrons. We, we've slowed down on the patron acquisition program. So, but mm. we are very thankful for the 46 people who do support work for it. And I'm going to read them off in order. Here we go. Marcus over at MW Steelworks. Mark Vanderwerf, the dagger man himself. Oh Justin Miller of Florida Man Forge. Devin and Dustin O'Hara of the Art of Craftsmanship. It's, Noah it's still Bloomberg. both of those two people, Justin well, and Well, it really is just, I think it was just Devin's idea, ultimately, okay. but yeah, uh, yeah, Dustin yeah. goes along with it now. So, uh, <laughs> And Noah Bloomberg of Entiat River Forge. Michael Nye. Jamie the Squid. Jamie Blow. Eric at Overall Maker Works. Bob Ryan. Brigham Kendell. Scott Wilkerson at Phoenix Works. That's Phoenix like the city and W E R K S Keith Drennan of Blackthorn concepts, Bob, which is at shed underscore 72 Brian Hooten of Hooten knives, Jason Moss, our man in Texas, Mark LeBlanc, North of the border, our ax man in Canada, Ken Kim, nah, crafty man, forge James Hunsberger of Hunsberger knives, Cardoso knives, who I just gave a shout out to. He's been a patron for, uh, since November of last year, knife material. At moon shine, leather works, our man, our master, at the art of uh, pranks, Brian Brian Absher, the Working Hands podcast, Ryan Coakley, Carol Ann Jeanette Racine, Oxford Blade Co. <clears throat> Let me clear my throat real quick. <clears throat> MaritimeKnifeSupply.com, which we have to do a uh, another. Uh, I have the thing we need to talk about with Lawrence and Maritime Knife Supply. Richard Beck of Beck's Armory, Jared Weaver, Leon Shanks of Two Birds Blade Works, Dennis Terrell of Terrell Knife Works, Thomas Moberg, TMO Knives, Donnie Dulovich, Bruce G. Carlson, Maximus Knives, our buddy Neil over at Maximus Knives, Brad Troxclair, Echo Blades, Jared at Echo Blades, Nate Walpole of Walrus Steel, Zach Byrne of Burn Blades, Full Steam Designs by Chris Powell, Matt Angel at Ad.KnifeWorks, Wesley Crum. Benjamin Mullins, Matt Bicker, Dustin Yahima, and Tony Mural of UK Knife Maker Supplies. That list is insanely long. Um, we uh, we appreciate you being a patron of ours, and uh, this is going to lead so me into the awesome. next real quick thing we have to discuss. Is remember last week on the show where I talked about us doing a collaboration project with Lawrence over at yeah. MaritimeKnifeSupply.com. Yep. So MaritimeKnifeSupply.com is supporting our channel by sponsoring us now every month. That money that they they we worked out together for the episodes, it goes into a coffer. It's going to pay for us to go to places like Blade Show and Maker Camp and all of that. They, he has agreed 
to have us do a, a project and he's going to supply us with all of the necessary things to make this knife. So there's going oh, yeah. to be a maritime knife supply.com knife that's made all with Maritime's equipment. So meaning they're a one-stop shop. You can go there and you can actually buy every single thing you need to build a yeah, knife. He's got everything. So, I he's got everything at that the other day. It's awesome. From the steel to the knife uh, handle material, to the pins, to tooling to you know anything you can think of maritime knife supply.com is a fantastic way to support wfi because we are supported by them and he's in canada so he gets you get to take advantage of the canadian to u.s dollar exchange rate believe it or not the shipping doesn't take any longer there's no difference in that you just get to you just get to take the advantage of uh, the exchange rate and buy from lawrence and he's just a stellar guy i appreciate his work and uh, yeah, go out to MaritimeKnifeSupply.com and check it out and be on the lookout for this for this knife that we're going to do as a collaboration. I'm going to make the steel. That's my my responsibility. Then I'm going to ship it to Brian. Brian's going to make the uh, finish the knife. Uh, maybe I'll profile it or something, Brian. I don't know. And then hey, and do then what, you'll do what finish you got to do, man. Yeah. And then <laughs> and then you you'll do, but yo. then. I'm going to hand it off to you and you're going to finish the knife. And then Ben, you're going to do a Saya or a, uh, yeah. or like some sort of sheet, maybe, maybe nice or box something like that. to go with it too. Or could, could be a box. Hey, so are we all making YouTube videos around this? Because we definitely yes. should. Yeah. So you this know is, it. this is what I worked out with him because he supports work for it. We're, I told him that I would do it on YouTube as well. 52,000 subscribers, dedicated subscribers on my YouTube channel now. Wow. And, that must be nice. It's pretty nice. <laughs> I, I get hit in the head with a few nickels every once in a while from, <laughs> from ad revenue. And then, and then, but what, it, what we're going to do is we're going to make this a collaboration video where I'm going to use it to cross promote both uh, butlerbuilt.us and your YouTube channel as well. Become, oh, thank because you. that way, you know, this whole collaboration process, the way it works is that it doesn't work unless we all participate. You know, sure. as much as we all rise up together and we'll rise up faster if we do it together. So that will be kind of a really neat thing. And then the finished knife, you know, we'll make a video about that. And that'll also get cross promoted to Instagram and Facebook. So, you know, the value in the sponsorship for Lawrence is really there. Uh, I really is. like that. And I think it's going to be a fantastic. I can I can't think of a better company to do business with than yeah. Maritime Knife Supply, to be honest. I love the concept behind what they're doing. So mm -hmm. it makes a lot of sense to me. I appreciate it. Love it. That's so cool. I was looking at some of his um, cactus juice and stabilizing and that kind of stuff. It's uh, He makes his own uh, stabilizing vessels or canisters. Which I, I did not know that. Pretty darn cool. Now that we got that business out of the way, yes, we need to look at the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. man. I got to run here, but yeah. So Ben's on his way out. I got to get going. back to work. You said I got to get back you had to one work. last question there, Ben. Do you? Uh... Oh yes, Mark Vanderworth would like to know if you use a disc sander, and if you do, do you use it on steel or with wood or both? Or I use a disc sander on every chef's knife that I have and i can't imagine making a chef's knife without one now nice uh, oh geez use, that much huh i use a yeah so i i put in a bevel with my my 2x72 and then um 
so I usually do 36 on the 2x72, then 60 on my disc, then go back to 120 on my 2x72, and then go back to the disc. Uh, wow. Finish it off. And that makes hand seining go way, way uh, smoother. There's a, uh, a guy that makes these magnetic plate systems for the disc sander that um, I use. He's actually up in Canada um, uh, for the life of me. Neil- Nielsen disc system. Um, you're, you can... I have some plates that have rubber on them back behind, like 70 durometer to help with uh, cushioning and make it uh, make the abrasive last a little bit longer and stuff. They're they're great. Oh, cool. You know, uh, that leads me to somebody else that I uh, I caught on the Hustle and Grind podcast uh, was uh, Richard Beck, Beck's Army. Yes. Great. He episode. makes in in tandem, in concert with Mark Vanderwerf. They make a, a really cool concept called the Vander Sander, which is uh, a, a kind of a kit like the Revolution, where but it's for a disc sanding situation where you can like tilt it and turn it, and it's got an articulating table. So go check that out. You can buy one in in the U.S. from Richard, I think, right? So it's at BexArmory.com, and then if you're in anywhere else, you can go to Mark and get one from him at one one eight Blades dot co dot uk and while you're at it go check out that dagger we're talking about holy shit <laughs> send, send mark a, send mark a message and let him know that you heard it on the mark, the work for it podcast and there we go yeah check it go. out so gentlemen i'm gonna call that a show kyle i, I appreciate you man oh man, go ahead great. Great. one, day, one last up? thing you mentioned the the carbide hammer i wanted to touch on that really quick that uh yeah when I heat treated a whole bunch of my MagnaCut blades, I had uh, 15 of the 21 like warp really bad coming out of the cryo that I did mm. that I thought I was going to have to anneal and redo the whole heat treat process. And I was talking to Laren Thomas, great guy. He uh, answered all my questions, and then he pointed me to uh, a couple forum posts on blade forums about people using carbide chisels and things like that to straighten. And then uh, talked with uh, Dan Bittinger. Uh, Bettinger knives and stuff did a ton of research and uh, kind of started making those carbide hammers so if you guys have uh, warping processes or problems coming out of the the heat treat uh, these carbide hammers help uh, uh, immensely um, I'm not worried so about you... warping and stuff now when I uh, do my heat treat so it's been it's real been quick great. question because in my head I think wow post heat treat and tapping with a hammer the risk of cracking or breaking sounds like it could be a thing, but you're telling me that there's a way around that. So what's the process? Like if I'm trying to straighten something that's that's post heat treat, how do, what's the process look like? So if it's, if it's warped like a U uh, it's kind of counterintuitive to what you would do for straightening when you're, when you're doing forging. So you want to hammer on the inside of the curve. So if it's a U, you want to hammer straight down. And those little divots uh, make r- stresses that push uh, straight out, and then that will bring uh, the blade down to flat. Um, I've done about 25 blades now, 30 blades with it, and it's been it's been great. Um, one of the guys that bought uh, one of my hammers, he ended up buying a second one because he he had a like 300 blades that he had heat treated from a local place, and he ended up straightening like 300 of them with it and uh he ended up buying a an eight ounce one he initially bought a four ounce one 
Uh, I'm on the bigger side, so I'm always afraid I'm going to whack something way too hard. <laughs> um, so I, I like to, to go a little bit slower, but the eight ounce ones work great too. Um, had a few people buy them to like texture handles and stuff in titanium, but the, the carbide's around 90, uh, Rockwell C and you want something that's way harder than the steel that you're hitting. And, um, it makes a little indentation. I haven't had any, any crack on me. Interesting. So wow. you do have to, gr- let's say you have to straighten a blade. The hammer will make a dent. So you do need to grind it out after yep. but you're most likely going to figure that out bef- anyway because you got to remove the carbon and whatever else off the outside yeah. if you're so i heat treat it full thickness so i i just sure. put like a 45 degree with like a twenty thousands um gap in the center uh before heat treat and then uh yeah i hammered them and then all those those divots came right out and even i've i've ground so like the four ounce one makes about a two and a half thousandths deep divot and the eight ounce one makes about okay. around a five thousandths deep divot no. so so it's not terrible it, yeah yeah okay i gotcha and and just so i'm just so i can fully understand you're doing this on an anvil so i actually use the yeah, anvil part of my vice i don't actually own an gotcha. anvil since i'm a stock removal guy hopefully i'll correct my anvil uh needs at some point but yeah i use the use a flat steel any any flat steel plate um will should work you want something okay. just something that's uh, not really movable down below. I know some people use like a big wooden stump um, that use it. So, okay, interesting. I, you know, the I've solved my warping uh, issues by just simply using a, a post heat treat. My process is while the blade is still above two hundred Fahrenheit. I put it in just big aluminum plates and yeah, yep. same. Let, clamp it down and it yep. let it cool to room temperature. That seems to solve the problem. That only works though when you're doing one or two knives. You know, you, there's mm-hmm. when you're doing production work like what you're doing, you know, and you're heat treating multiple blades, that doesn't yeah. work. You cannot do yeah. I mean unless I actually, you have a whole so bunch of these. I was systems. able I was able to do it. I heated heat treated twenty knives all in one day using that aluminum plate press situation. But what I would do is I would go outside and I'd grab a big old, you know, chunk of ice or a handful of snow and put it on the aluminum plate press between That each. makes sense. Yeah, you can definitely <laughs> do that. Uh, yeah, Craig I have. from Knife Talk uses a freezer he just rotates the the, the plates oh, you yeah. know into a yeah. freezer so that makes a lot yeah. of sense too yeah i had a machine shop machine a whole bunch of like cooling fins on the back side of some two inch thick plates uh so they're like an inch thick uh cooling fin so i missed it down with water and that helps pull pull the heat out really quick yeah that makes sense well, you know, that should, that should be your next uh, thing where you talk about this or show the process, like even on YouTube or I'm, I'm, you may have done this and I just haven't seen it, but I would, I would love to see the process that you do and, and you could trend, use the trend with Magna Cut to show, mm. you know, like, Hey, this is possible post tree. Cause in my head, I'm like, God, that's so counterintuitive. You know, like yeah. I wouldn't think to do this, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that's awesome, man. That's really good. And you sell these hammers on your website. Yep. Yeah. I, uh, I, um, buy a Vaughn hammer. I don't actually make, make the, the hammer itself. They're, they're U S made here, here in Illinois. And I, uh, drill and, uh, braze in a carbide three eighths inch carbide ball and going to be doing some smaller ones. The, the folder maker guys, uh, want something a little more accurate to, to hit and straighten their springs and stuff. So going to be probably making some smaller ones and some punches and stuff too. So. 
Super interesting. Yeah, it's really cool stuff, man. Well, Kyle, yes. thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the yeah. World Podcast. We yeah. appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, Kyle, for jumping on here. I actually, I have next week's guest already lined up. Do we want to? Do we want to announce it here? Who it's going to be, or should we keep it a surprise? No, no. That's tell me who it is. I don't even know. I don't think. <laughs> no, you don't. We literally just like <laughs> I just asked him last night, super late, because we we're talking about some stuff. From Wasteland Forge, Mr. James Fleming. What? what? Oh, I yeah. love James. Yeah. Nice. I did. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I have a funny story about James because we we were BSing because when he was on his way <clears throat> down to Texas and on his way back, I was his uh, like his road buddy for a couple of hours, just talking to him and keeping him awake and stuff like that. We had long conversations about next to nothing, but I, I could talk to James for freaking ever like the guy is such a great guy i love him so that's a so, great ask so ben and i should definitely just sit this one out and let you guys go yeah <laughs> no 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 because I, oh. I we talked for like four hours last week so like right. you, you know don't have anything to I'm talk about <laughs> <laughs> so i've been also chatting up uh keith from the working hands podcast and uh talk kicking around some ideas of maybe doing a little smash up episode hey, again but uh yeah yeah that's some that's a technical challenge but uh i think it'd be fun to mash the two together if it works so i think so too i i i really do think that we should do that and um and and also work with Kyle on his podcast yeah with the yeah perspective. that'd be great so we should yeah. do something there as well I don't you guys do guests and you bring people on all the time yeah so. almost all of our pod or all almost all of our podcasts have guests and we've done a few that's just been Dan and me but uh, we usually always try to have some sort of industry person or uh, chef or something like that well, all right. I think we've got our uh, dance card is quite full then. We've got lots to do. <laughs> How about there it? There we go. There we well, go. Thank Appreciate you, you guys. All for a great episode. We got we to gotta wrap this show up. We're at an hour 47. You got a bonus. 17 minutes from the Work For It podcast this week. We appreciate all of our sponsors and patrons for keeping us going. As always, the show remains ad-free now. We no longer Woo! have to have those weird uh, German and French advertisements <laughs> coming up. I Now I'm getting what I think is hilarious is I'm getting the uh, Kohler advertisements for their new toilet. Have you seen this? It's called the Revolution 360 <laughs> and it's a toilet. Nice. I love it. I love nice. it. I think it's fantastic. So anyway, guys, we appreciate you as always. Awesome. We hope you have a good working week. Hard work and good luck. This is Brian House. You've been listening to the Work For It Podcast, baby! Woo! Yeah! Woo! <laughs> Come on. Goodbye. 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 Bye, guys. Goodbye. See you later, Kyle. Thanks Go again. Go home, you fucking bum. Woohoo! <laughs> 